Have you ever felt unsafe? Just in life. And like, do some of us avoid the book of Revelation because we feel like this feels super unsafe, right? I'm avoiding this situation, this book, because man, at my core, I don't know if I'm going to make it or if I can make it through this moment. But this, these next few chapters that we are going to see is that in Christ, we can be safe. That in Christ, we can, we can walk in, with confidence into the end times and whatever God is bringing because we know that in Christ, we are okay. And that's what these chapters begin to delineate for you and I is that in Christ, it's going to be all right. We have a, a kid, I'm going to not name the kid, but one of our kids is living in a season of fear. Has anyone ever had kids that, that are like that? Like there's just a season of their life where they just walk in fear, right? They're scared of bedtime. They're scared that the closet is open. They're scared to go to school. This kid is uh, very worried about like uh, the food that they're eating because they have some dietary issues that can get them very sick. And so like we're like, hey, we're going to go try this new restaurant. And they're like, no, what if I get sick there? And there's this season of fear for one of our kids. And, and what we're trying to teach our kids is like, hey, fear is not a problem. It's how you respond to fear that, that really determines who we are. Right? Because you can't be courageous if you aren't scared. You can't be brave if there's no fear. Like someone who isn't scared to jump off a bridge and just does it, that's not brave. That's just like, you're crazy. Right? And so what I want us to understand that the Bible tells us that the truth will set us free and that when we really begin to understand what God is doing in our lives, that that fear can be cast away and we can be brave, not in ourselves, but in Christ. And so today, what I want us to see is that the book of Revelation, and especially in these chapters, God is going to open up something to us to help us deal with fear. Because, I mean, if we're all honest, a lot of us have avoided this book and avoided these things because we're afraid of it. I hope that through this series, the truth has set you free and that you are, are able to even open the book of Revelation. I can't tell you how many people were so scared to get to, to this book, mainly because some Christians use this book to scare people into heaven. And can I be honest with you? Fear is never a good reason to enter heaven. It's the love of the Lord. It's your love for Christ. It's what he did for you and that acknowledgement of who Jesus is that should lead us to repentance. In fact, the Bible says it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so, yes, we are to have a fear of the Lord, but not a terror the fear of the Lord is to be an awe-inspired awe of who God is and all that he can do. And we are, see his majesty and we see all of these things. And yes, we fall, fall into fear, but not because of just this is scary, but because of how awesome and powerful God is. Now, John, the, the story kind of enters here with John, and there's this weird moment that happens here in chapter 10 as he's interacting with this angel. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Revelation chapter 10, starting in verse 9. You can follow with me. If not, don't worry. The words are on the screen for you. This is what it says. This is John speaking. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. What? 
Some of you are afraid to use paper straws right now because you got paper mache in your belly, right? I won't use them. I'm not going to lie. The, the drink tastes different and feels different. Is anyone with me? <clears throat> Just get that out of here. I don't want that. And they talk about all these sea turtles dying. I want to see a picture of a sea turtle with a straw in its throat before I make a commitment. Okay? Someone's like, yeah, brother! Yes! It's the only thing they're going to get out of this. I want to see that picture too, brother! All right, let's get back to Revelation. Golly. Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took it, the little scroll from the angel's hand, and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Here, here's some takeaways for you and I. This is what the angel of the Lord is saying to John. You need to take my words and my words need to speak from within you, and they're going to affect you. And as we look at this, some of us feel like God is up in heaven, and the book of Revelation is about him looking down at the earth and going, aha, I got all of you. I got all you bad people. I got you. But what the angel is saying is, look, these are the words of truth, and yes, God's wrath and judgment is coming, but it's going to make you sick because God cares for all people. God's desire is that all would repent and come to Christ and know him. And so the, the sourness of the message is not that he says, so just ignore it and take a tum, but just understand that the things that you're going to say to these kings, to, to the things that you are going to say in this moment are going to be hard to say. And for you and I as the church of Christ, we need to take a little bit of comfort in that, that the word of God needs to transform you. And out of how God has transformed you by the preaching and teaching of his word through the work of the Holy Spirit, by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you and I need to speak the truth of God to the world, even though sometimes it's going to be hard. That's the truth of what he's saying. He's saying what you're about to say is going to taste sweet because for the believer in Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is sweet. The Bible describes it in other places as a sweet aroma. But for those who are perishing, it has a bad smell. So understand, there, there is part of us that in Christ we need to rejoice of the good news of the book of Revelation that all things will come to an end. But there is a part of us that need to feel convicted and understand what that message also means for those who are perishing. And what it means for you and I is like this may be hard, but we have to speak out of how God has changed us. And the time for the church to be silent is over. This is what he's saying to John. <clears throat> Look, you need to speak from what has changed you. That's what he's saying. These words are to come in. To, this is very symbolic. It, this is exactly what happens to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel eats the scroll and it tastes sweet. In fact, these two chapters connect with Ezekiel chapter 2 and Ezekiel chapter 4 almost undeniably. But Ezekiel's mouth and, and stomach does not turn sour. In this place, what he is saying is, is you're talking about the end of all things. And I know that this is going to be hard, but the word that has transformed you now needs to come out of you. And so let me ask you a question in this church today. Has God's word changed your life? And I know a lot of us are, are having a hard time at times to share the good news. That's what the gospel means. It's this word that means this is good news. 
But how many of you know sometimes you need bad news to get the good news? The bad news is, is without Jesus Christ, without a believing relationship in what Jesus did for you on the cross, that he died for your sin, he rose again to show that he conquered it, and that whoever would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Christ did that for them will be saved. That is good news. The bad news is you need to be saved. And a lot of times in the church right now, we just want to give the good part. But how many of you know, like, I don't need to take a life raft until I know I'm drowning. And so this is what John is saying, this is what God is saying to John. These words need to transform you. And I understand for you, this is sweet and this is good news. But I also know that this will turn your, sou- your stomach sour because you realize what this means for the world. But we cannot back away from the message that God has given us because it makes us feel a little weird. Right? If we talk about, hey guys, you guys need to go witness to your neighbors. You need to witness to your friends. You need to tell the world about the good news. You get a pit in your stomach. And John is, he, God is saying, I know this, but we have to speak from what has changed us. Have you been changed by the word of God? And if we're unwilling to share that change, have you really been changed? Because I know a lot of us will share every diet that has changed our life for six minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, I cold plunge and drank a drink, green drink and I'm a new person. Everyone needs to do this. One week later, you're like, now I, I go into the sauna and I drink this, this blue drink. And then, you know, and now I'm not eating carbs. And then the next week, you're like, the only thing I eat is carbohydrates. Have you heard of this diet? It's called the carbohydrate diet. It's to get you really big so then you can lose really fast, right? Like, you'll have a ton of energy and then you'll fall asleep. It's the best diet ever. No, that's a lie straight from the pit. But... I want to tell you this. You and I must prophesy again to many peoples, many nations, many languages and kings. Part of the reason you, you guys might have seen on the board, we have Spanish live translated in this room right now. We have our Spanish service joining us over here. Can we all give them a round of applause real quick? <clears throat> Why? 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 Why did we make that investment? Because we need to speak to many people and many languages and many nations and many kings. Why? Because the hour and the time is growing short. And so what John begins to do is say, okay, so I'm going to be entering into this new season, this, this understanding of what is going to happen. And this is going to be tough, but I have to be strong and courageous in Christ to do this. And then John has gotten through many of these seals and and we get into this last one and the news has been bad, but there's a bit of encouragement here for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ because not only do we need to speak from what has changed us, when we are changed by the word of God, we should become worshipers. And there is well-being for worshipers. The Bible says that for you and I, there's well-being for worshipers. Here's what I mean by this. Do you know that my job in heaven is gone? There are no pastors in heaven. We have the great high priest. We don't need us. But you know the one thing that we will do in heaven that we do here on earth? Worship. Worship. If you guys find worship boring, you're probably going to find heaven boring. You're like, ha, ha, that's probably true. Because here's what God begins to do. Because there's this great kind of 
division and sifting, maybe is a better word in this moment. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 to 2. I was given a reed, so he knows that he must proclaim these words and do it, and to proclaim to nations and peoples and many languages and kings, and he has to do this, and then this is what begins to happen. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. Go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers inside. Inside. And then it says this, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. That means unbelievers. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. What does that mean? Well, we're in the tribulation period. Tribulation is a two sets of three and a half years. So the entire tribulation is seven years. You have to understand that in the Bible, numbers have meaning, especially in apocalyptic literature like the book of Revelation. And seven means completion. That the earth is going to be tested and tried and there will be plagues and there will be horrific moments and there will be judges and there will be the Antichrist. There will be unjust kingdoms and unjust kings and we are going to see the most evil the world has ever seen. And what God says is make sure to measure the altar in the temple of God but do not measure the outer court for it has been given to the unbelievers and they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. That's the last half of the revelation, of the tribulation. And God says that for believers in Christ, this is going to be a trying time. But God wants to understand, and, and I know that in this moment, we go very like uh, practical and very, um, we just give a baseline reading. We go, okay, so it's a building with an altar. But what John is also saying, and I believe what God is saying is, is measure up the church. Measure the church. Measure what is going on in their lives and that the true worshipers would find themselves inside the temple, that we are this, this conglomerate of people who come together and who worship Jesus and are truly worshiping. I, I, the text goes just beyond just a physical location, because why? What did God just say to John? You need to talk to many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And then he says, now, and go and measure the altar in the temple of God and the worshipers in it. But what he begins to say is that there is well-being and protection for the worshipers of God during this 42 months of hard time. Doesn't mean that life is going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that life is, is like for the worshiper, you walk around with a bubble and you have a hazmat suit on and everything is hunky-dory, but you are protected. There is well-being in being a worshiper. And I think the same is true now. I think that if we are true worshipers of God, I believe that if we are true worshipers of the King and that worship isn't just something we do, but it's part of who we are, that there's great protection in that. That doesn't mean that bad things don't happen, but that we can get through these bad things because we are worshipers, because we worship the true King. So 
Bad things can happen and life can be hard, but we're protected and we're okay. Why? Because as worshipers, the peace which surpasses all understanding will enter our hearts and our minds. And yes, it may be chaos out there, but we know the king of peace. And so we can be at peace in here. That's true protection. That's true protection for the worshiper in Christ, for the, those who walk with Jesus. That well-being is a part of, of worship and that it works out for us in our well-being. And what this signifies is Christ's protection over the life of those who are true worshipers. But how do, I, how do we want to think about measuring? The idea is a rod, which is measured, but it's almost a sifting. Like I would say, like we measure gold. There's a refining process for those who are in Christ that the true, pure worship is there and all of the, the dull metal that, that mixes within is cut off and measured off and taken away. And so let me ask you in this room, we can all think about this as the future, but can we also think about this in this moment of how is God measuring your life? How is God measuring your life right now? Are you feeling uncomfortable because when you're being tested and tried and moved and pressed, there's a measuring going on? And for the believer in Jesus Christ, God wants to remove what should not be there, what is impure. So there's protection and there's well-being in the measuring, but there's also this moment of refinement. That's what he's saying. God is measuring up the temple, and he's saying true worshipers are inside the temple with the altar, and those who are not are left outside. They're left outside, and they're going to trample the holy city for 42 months. And so you and I need to think about in this moment is is there part of your life that God wants to develop you and grow you in your worship of him, and he is measuring you right now? Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants well-being for you. Because he wants good things for you. He wants you to be inside the temple with the altar and not outside. But you and I have to respond to the measuring. You and I have to allow the Lord to work in our life and to begin to, to refine us. Even Hebrews and other places says that God disciplines those whom he loves. If there's no discipline in your life, you might need to be worried and sometimes the discipline is natural consequences. Sometimes we always think it's going to be just fire and brimstone. Sometimes it's much simpler than that. And here's what's really interesting about this. Could this be the physical temple? Absolutely. Did you know that currently in Israel, there's a whole society called the Temple Society that is ready right now to rebuild the physical temple in Jerusalem? That for many years, this prophecy and this understanding of where is this temple going to be and how is it going to work and how is this establishment going to happen? Is Jesus going to live and reign from Jerusalem and rule in this physical temple? I'm telling you now that there are givers, there are people behind this, and they are ready to begin to build the next temple. All of the instruments, all of the uh, Candelabra, all of the altar, everything has been prepared and is ready to go into the new temple and is held in storage 
we think in Israel somewhere for protection for when the temple is ready to be rebuilt. So this isn't just all philosophical, this is practical. There's this belief that the Antichrist who will come in, by the way, if you want to learn more about the Antichrist, you need to return next week. He's going to show up in a big way. He shows up here a little bit today, but we're going to see maybe Christmas like we've never seen Christmas before next week if you've ever read Revelation chapter 12. And so what begins to happen is, is there, there is this idea that the Temple Mount, which is controlled currently by Islamic leaders, there is a mosque, the Alaska Mosque, which is on the top of the Temple Mount, and there's this thing called the Dome of the Rock, which is put over a rock where they believe, the Islamic people believe that Jesus or the Prophet Muhammad ascended from this rock. So they built a dome over the rock. There is belief that this Antichrist will come in, that he will gain favor with the entire world. This is what this means. The Antichrist will be elected. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, that the Antichrist will come and he will have a bow with no arrow. What does that mean? He is welcomed in by the world because he doesn't have to go to war to get it. And what is many believe is that there will be a ushered peace in the world, especially in Israel. And that the Temple Mount will be given back to the Jewish people, and it is on that mount that they will rebuild a physical temple. Cool. And if they do build a physical temple, incredible. That is incredible. And let's get ready, and let's rejoice, and let's do all of these things. But This doesn't mean that everybody in this room, you need to start looking for houses in Israel so that you can, oh, if the temple's built, I better be inside. Because yes, it's a physical temple, but are we not just a, is the church just a physical building? No. And so what God begins to do, there's no, nothing in the prophecy, there's nothing in the writing here that says, and everyone should change zip codes. Why? Why? Because God needs his true worshipers all around the world. Why? To prophesy to many people in many languages, in many nations, in many kings. And that you and I will be protected if we are true worshipers in Christ. So how is God measuring your life? Because if he is measuring it, know that he wants to produce something pure and holy and good in your life. You need to yield over to the measuring. There's some things in this room right now, I feel this, that people in this room need to let go of. There's hurt, there's anxiety, there's worry, there's fear, there's money controls your life, relationships control your life, and and everything in your life is filtered through that thing and not through Christ. And God is measuring. And if you're feeling convicted, don't you can get mad at me, but you need to talk to the Holy Spirit. Because I don't know your mess. I don't know what's going on in your life. But if you are feeling convicted, it's not my words. It's the Holy Spirit awakening and testifying to the truth of the preached word of God. So respond. Respond. Walk in goodness. Walk in grace. Because we have well-being in being worshipers. But then we open up into the Bible and and we get into this long section that I'm going to break up as we talk about it and bring some things to light. 
Because the text goes from, hey, you need to eat these words. It's going to be sour, but you need to keep proclaiming them. And then know that you need to measure the temple and the true worshipers will be inside and they will be protected. But there's these two gentlemen coming. Verse 3 of chapter 11, and I will appoint... I I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. Think of this as being like burlap sacks. Do I think that two guys are going to show up in burlap sacks and start to prophesy to the world? Maybe. But I think what is being talked about is the type of message they are bringing. I believe that when you wore burlap, or you wore the sackcloth, it was a sign of mourning. It was a sign that not everything is okay, and this is hard, and what we will prophesy about will be good news for those who believe, and it will be terrible news for those who do not. Notice that God is not rejoicing over the demise of the world. There is no... There's rejoicing of saints being saved, and his holiness is held up. But I want you guys to realize, many of us look at the book of Revelation and go, yeah, he just wants to bring the holy hammer. No, he is trying to warn us to bring us to holy heaven. This is all warning. This is grace, and this is love. And he's not, he's not hiding the truth, but understand that he knows that this truth is hard. And those who bring forward this message understand the intensity, the immensity, and some of the sorrow that is going to come. It is good news, but remember, they're prophesying to the people outside of the temple, right? The people inside are protected and good and worshiping in this moment, but they are prophesying to the world, and we're going to see how the world responds. It's not good. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. Whoa. This is pretty, wow. Physical fire is going to come from their mouth? Maybe. Or maybe the word that they bring is so burning with the truth of God that it will devour their enemies. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. What should this draw our mind and our heart back to? Egypt. What is revelation? I am ultimately freeing my people from their enslaver forever. That's what Egypt was about, right? Let my people go, and then these plagues begin to happen, and Moses is protected. But many of these things that happen in this moment go back to the book of Exodus where we understand that God was freeing his people because of his love for his people. And Egypt did not repent. Even when they let him go, they chased him down. And so what John and what God is doing through this prophecy is saying this, the world's going to respond the same as Egypt did. They're going to bring the same plagues and the same things, and they're going to get mad about it. How many of us would be mad if two dudes showed up and took all the drinking water in the world and turned it to blood? Everyone's like, what? You guys are, I'm not impressed. I'm angry. 
Whatever these guys do and how they bring these plagues, imagine there's no rain and now all the water's turned to blood. This is not good. We are angry. Why would you do this? This is your opportunity to turn and to respond to the measuring of God. So what then begins to happen? Now, this is where the Antichrist shows up. Now, when they have finished their testimony, this is really important. These two prophets don't die early. Their job is finished, the Bible says. They don't die early. In fact, while they are doing the work of God, they are untouchable. Listen to what it says. The beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, that being Jerusalem, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. What is he saying? Sodom was one of the worst cities in the Bible ever, and he's reminding them of what Egypt did. And he's saying that that's even happened in the holy city. This is Jerusalem where their Lord was crucified. That's how we know it's Jerusalem. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language, and nation. Does that call us back to chapter 10? Of all the people that need to hear the good news and to hear this message, and even though it's hard, John needs to be able to prophesy. He says those same people who are to prophesy to, they will come and they will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. This is extreme dishonor in this culture. First of all, It'd be extreme dishonor now. That if you were to dishonor someone, you would leave their body, which is decaying, on display. Remember that when Jesus dies, they come and they say, please let us bury him. Right now, let us bury him properly that that he will not be shamed for a lack of burial. The world will not bury them. Their inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other's gifts because these two prophets had tormented them, those who live on the earth. That's how sick the world's going to get. That when two guys are killed and their bodies are left in the streets of the world, in the city, every camera, every nation, every person will come and dance and gloat over their death. It's a pretty sad moment. This is a dark moment, verse 11. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. That word, breath of life, is the same word used in the book of Genesis when God breathed life into Adam. But God breathed life into them, and they stood on their feet. Some of you are like I, zombies. Okay, ah! Right, you're freaked out. People are freaked out too. And terror struck those who saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. What? We just killed these guys. Three and a half days later, they're back to life. And now, whammo, they're gone. This is freaking us out. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God, to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed, and the third woe is coming soon. Let's talk a little bit about this. Where, where would this earthquake be possible? Chris, can you throw up the picture of uh, the Rift Valley? If you look right here in this picture, this is a picture of Israel. 
This is the Rift Valley, or they call it the Jordan Valley in this picture. This is just about 20 miles south of Jerusalem currently. And you'll notice, see the river winding through the valley? That is the Jordan River. The Rift Valley is the largest singular valley in the world. It stretches over 3,000 kilometers. It is where the, uh, the African plate and the uh, Asian plate are separating currently. That you can go there. This is where two tectonic plates in the earth have been separating over time. It says that in this valley, by the way, this is the same valley that you and I may understand as the Jezreel Valley. And if you know anything about the book of Revelation, we're going to get into this in a few weeks. This is where the battle of Armageddon will take place. And it says that a great earthquake will happen, and I believe it will happen in this valley. The earth is going to shake. It's very similar to what happened at Jesus' resurrection, is it not? That there was a great earthquake, and the veil was torn in the Holy of Holies. We're going to see that this language is very similar to that idea of what God is doing. But here's one thing that I want to pull out of the text. Because, like, who are the two prophets? I think they represent the ministries, and they could be the physical incarnation of Elijah and Moses. Right? Because Moses represents the, the people of God returning to him, and Elijah proclaims good news to those who are outside the kingdom. Some say that this is, these are other prophets. Some say these aren't prophets at all. I believe that there will be two prophets that come into the world that actually proclaim this news. Some people believe that the prophets represent the church. But I believe that there will be two physical prophets who will come into the world. But that's not the point of the passage. I want you to notice what God begins to say to them. This is, I want you to take this. We are unassailable in our assignment. We are unassailable in our assignment. What does that mean? Nothing could touch the prophets until their job was done. Until you are done in what God has called you to do, you are untouchable. And for many of us in this room, the reason that we have so much fear is because we think we are going to die when we do what God has called us to do. And the Bible tells us something very different. You are untouchable until your assignment is done. So you and I need to walk into our assignment with great perseverance and great strength. That, that you and I in this moment, that Nothing could touch them. In fact, in anything that came against them, they pushed against them. The powers of hell could not prevail against the prophets of God. I want you to understand that for your life right now. That you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ in this room right now, you said yes to Jesus Christ. You are untouchable until your assignment is done. And when it's done, it's time to go home. But the reality is, is, was life easy for them? No. People came against them. They just couldn't touch them. They couldn't harm them. They couldn't overwhelm them. But life was still hard. What many of us think when you say that in Christ you are untouchable until God is done with you is that, oh, man, if I just understand this moment, I, I, my life's going to be perfect. No, but you're perfectly protected. 
That whatever the world brings, whatever the enemy brings, whatever high water comes against you, we stand on the firm foundation and we are preserved and protected in Christ and in Christ alone. You are untouchable in the call of God. Some of you are not entering the call of God because you think that's where peril is, but that's where protection is. And I want you to see something, and this takes my mind back to the book of Job as we get ready to end this morning. This great beast, this Antichrist, comes up, right? And many of us are like, Antichrist, beast, I'm so scared, I'm so freaked out, how is this going to work? The only moment that the Antichrist could touch the prophets of God is when the Bible says their job was finished. And even in their death, there was a message. Because we all look at this and go, man, they died. Man, they physically died. That's the worst. No, they didn't. They were raised back to life and go into heaven. This wasn't for them their bondage. For the prophets, this is their freedom. They go to heaven to be with Jesus. Like everything, the worst thing that the world had that the beast could bring to them was to kill them. And it's freedom for them. They go, oh, I don't have to endure this anymore. I don't have to be here anymore. I don't have to have the world coming against me. I get to go to heaven and they're caught up in a moment. And so what does this mean as David says, oh, death, where is your sting? Because the worst that sin has for you is death. But God has removed it in Jesus Christ. Because for those who believe in Christ, you will never die spiritually. You will be alive forever. And so it is like the words of Paul, for me to live is to die and to die is gain. What does Paul mean? I have a greater hope in heaven, but I endure this earth because my assignment is not done. And there's divine protection in that moment. There's divine provision in that moment. And man, when I get to heaven, I don't have to deal with this, but I'm gonna deal with this because Christ has me. Because in Christ, I can do this because he has done so much for me. And so I will endure and I will go forward because there are many people and nations and kingdoms to talk to. And I will not leave this place until my assignment is done, but until then I am untouchable. Now, don't get smart and get on, you know, your car. I don't need to wear a seatbelt anymore. <laughs> okay? Because you could still get in an accident and still get hurt. You're just going to have to do the job hurt. Okay? <laughs> but I want you to notice one other thing that the text indicates as, as we're wrapping up this morning. This might hit some people hard. Because the Bible says something very interesting in the end. It says that in the people of the earth gave glory to God when they see the prophets raise again and leave. But the Bible doesn't indicate that they believed. So what does that mean? You can give a form of praise to God and not be a believer in Jesus. And I think we're seeing that a lot right now. And that's why we're talking about the measuring and the safety that's in Christ. It's better to have the measuring happen now than at the great white throne judgment. Because we can give praise to Jesus and really not know him. Right? Because, okay, we're about to go into this, probably the largest worship service in our nation in the next couple hours. It's called the Super Bowl. <laughs> Don't worry, guys, we'll get you out on time. Some people aren't here because they got to get ready for church. You know what I'm saying? 
you can enjoy the Super Bowl, that's fine, and I'm glad you're here, and all these things, but how many of us love these athletes, but you, and you can give Patrick Mahone's praise, but you don't know him. Same thing can be true with us in Jesus Christ. Is he Lord of your life? Are you in the temple, or are you outside? Is he measuring your life, and are you responding? Because there is great safety in him, and when you do that, you are untouchable, and when you know the truth that you are untouchable, the truth shall set you free. Because here's the reality as we end this morning. In Christ, all is saved. All is rescued. All is redeemed. Look at what the Bible says starting here in verse 15 of of Revelation. I don't know if the words will be with you on the screen, but let me open up the scriptures for you. The seventh angel sounded a trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and his Messiah. That's Jesus, by the way. And he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders, which represent both the Old and the New Testament, who were seated on their thrones before God, fell on their faces because we're not meant to sit on thrones. We're meant to worship the one who does. And they worship God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and rewarding your servants and prophets and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. This is what the Bible means. Jesus is coming back and he's going to reign and all is saved. All is saved. And so what does that mean for you and I? Because here's what I truly believe the Bible is saying to you and I. In Christ, we are untouchable. In Christ, we are unavoidable. In Christ, we are more than conquerors. In Christ, we have the victory. In Christ, we are okay. In Christ, we will prosper. In Christ, we have protection. In Christ, we are his. Because of his great love and his great death, he saved us. In the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 19, opens for us heaven. And look at what it says. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And within his temple was the scene, the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumbling peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. What does this signify to you and I? It's the tearing of the veil. This is what he says, that we go through all of these things and those who will be saved will be saved and those who are not will not. And then the Lord will enter in this moment and open and in Christ he will begin to rule and reign because he is our conquering king. And then the Bible says that John looks up into heaven and the temple is opened and he sees into the holy of holies. And what does that mean? That God is with us. That God is with us. And through all of this, and through all of these hard times, and all of these things that you and I go through in this life, we can know that we are okay and fear can leave us. Why? Because God is with us. Do you know the one thing that helped my little one get through the fear of going into certain situations? It was only this moment. When I looked at them and I said, don't worry, I'm going with you. You want to go to that new restaurant? You're scared that you're going to eat something that's going to make you sick? Don't worry, 
I'm going with you. I'll read the menu. I'll make sure you're not harmed. I'll make sure you are protected. And it was the presence of the father, me as a father, that gave her peace because she was with me. And for you in this room, the Bible signifies here that the temple has been opened and God is with us. And so whatever you're so fearful to walk into, you do not need to fear, for the hand of the Father is with you, and he's walking with you right now. So you need to restore your marriage, and you're worried about what's going to happen? God is with you. You need to overcome that addiction that has so dominated your life for so long, but you're so afraid it won't work? Fear not, for he is with you. The temple has been opened. You need restoration. You need to serve again. You need to be part of what God is doing. You need to pray again. You need to, to, to walk into what God has for you. You need to go to that foreign mission field. You need to say yes to the ministry. You need to say yes to leading a small group. Whatever it is, you can fear not for you are safe for God is with us. And so today to celebrate this great truth as the band is playing and we are doing all of these things, we're gonna celebrate not only that God is with us, but that he is for us. And today we're going to celebrate through communion. And so around you in the seat in front of you or around you if you're on the front row, there are communion cups ready for you. If you need more, raise your hand. The people in the back will get you a cup. But as we begin to pray and seek God in this moment, the Bible says that this moment is to be honored above all because it is the moment that you and I remember the great sacrifice that God made for us. And so the Bible tells us and warns us not to take this moment lightly, not to take it unadvisedly, but for you and I to begin to, to, if there is sin in our life and God is measuring you, repent, which means to turn from that sin, to walk towards God. Whether known or unknown, get it all out. Because we have a God who, in spite of all of these things, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and the temple was open to us, and God is with us. And so he's not afraid of your stuff because he already knew it, and it was nailed to a cross, and it was put in a grave, and it was left there, and Jesus rose again to show victory. And that's what we celebrate in this moment. And so I want to give all of us just a moment to honor God as we reflect on our lives.